Welcome to the King's Cast. Dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Good morning, church. Good morning. So we thank God for another time in his presence. It is always a pleasure to be in the house of God, worshiping, praising him, dancing, singing, and celebrating the life of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in us. Amen. Um, For those of you who are listening online, you are welcome. I just want to maybe ask you to not have any expectation around this message being a message for next year, a vision type of Sunday, sermon, because um, I believe that Pastor Phil will, will do that over the next coming months when he comes back from his holidays. Um, but I also believe that it's important that we get tuned in and we hear what the Spirit says today. I believe there is a word for each season, And I believe that every word of God that is given is also a timely word. God knows our hearts. He knows where we stand. He knows what we think. He knows our struggles. But he's also the God who is mindful of us and who has blessed us, blessing us, and will continue to bless us. Amen? So today, uh, my message is really about uh, a word I believe is timeless. It is... um, not, not always spoken about every single time because we do not necessarily want to hammer it on the church member. Um, I think it's a special word, hashtag special word, is it? Well, every word of God is special. Now, it is a word that I believe comes from the heart of God. And it's a word that is effectively helping us define our interaction with God, our relationship with God, our, the nitty-gritty of our relationship with the Father. And that's about obedience. So for the title of the message today, let's call it the power of obedience. Shall we bow our head and commit this time before the Lord? Heavenly Father God, we thank you for another time before you. Father God, we thank you that you have seen us through this day. We thank you that even through 2017, there may have been many challenges, but here we are a testimony of your goodness and faithfulness. And Lord, as we are about to hear your word today, to hear your voice, to hear you speak, let it be that the word come with anointing. Let it be that the word comes and indeed reach out to the souls, Lord, of your children. Let it reach out to their hearts, Lord. Let it reach out to them, so Lord, that they understand what is pleasing before you. We give you praise and we give you thanks. In Jesus' mighty and awesome name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the scripture today, the main scripture will be uh, very much taken from the book of Psalm. We will read from Psalm 119. Thank you for putting that on the screen. Actually, before we start, um, let me just ask you something. I think obedience, we all heard about obedience. Those who are parents are familiar with obedience. I just want to have a sense check here, you know, and not to expose anybody. Who feels obedient to God this morning? Who feels obedient? Can you please just raise your hands if we feel we are obedient to God? One, two. It's actually... Yeah, okay. Okay. So we have a nucleus of people in the church who feel that they are obedient to God. 
And some were actually hesitating in raising their hands. So, all right. Who feels that they've not always been obedient to God? Oh, wow. That's not 100%, not even 99.9%. It's probably around the 70 mark. So we'll, we'll do that. Okay. So it's good. That is not 99.9%. Otherwise, I will just pack my bags, close my Bible, and leave. Because it means that the word wouldn't mean anything for you. And I would probably run back to Pastor Phil saying, 99% of the church members are obedient. It's a great news to have ahead of 2018. We can build the church on that basis. All right? Um, obedience is something we all struggle with. All right? It is something we struggle with. It's something I do struggle with. And in frankness, in honesty, it is all good to admit and to be naked before God when we struggle with things. You look at the Bible, at your Bible, and you read throughout the Bible, there are countless examples of people who have been struggling with obedience. And even those that God call, you know, people after their own heart, after his own heart, people like David or people like Abraham, you know, Abraham struggled with obedience. And, you know, that's the reason we have Ishmael. And that's all the reason we have, uh, you know, issues today in, in the Middle East, you know, um, there are so many examples in the Bible, and I will come to that in a minute, of people, people of God, children of God, men and women of God, mighty men of valor, even the angels of God disobeyed to come to have children with, with the women uh, on earth. So it is, it is something that has been effectively a problem from day one. I call that the problem statement of disobedience, or obedience really. The problem statement is this is the fact that we live in a society that does no longer value the things that are godly. But God's creation, mankind, angels alike, all have shown their ability to disobey God. It is evident. When you look around, when you look into your own life, when I look into my life, obedience and disobedience seem to actually work hand in hand. I'm not sure it's what God intended. I believe God wants all his children to be obedient. And there is reward in obedience, but there is also great consequences and sometimes disastrous, disastrous one when it comes to disobedience. And we want to look into that today. Why? Because I feel and I believe that God is saying this will help us understand how to even approach next year in a few hours. Obedience, if we can look at the definition very quickly, please. Um, maybe not. Okay. Obedience, apologies, guys. I think I left it. Obedience is, according to Merriam Webster, is an act or instance of obeying. Well, if I don't understand obedience, I can't understand obeying. But that's the way the dictionary is defining it. So let's look at what obedient means. It is willing to do and doing. Not only being willing to do, I can be willing to listen to my wife and not actually doing it. I can be willing to go somewhere because I've got the instruction, but, you know, I've got cold feet. I'm not going there. I mean, we see that from Jonah. He was willing, but never ended up there. And when he was not willing, he still didn't go. So he says willing to do and doing what someone asks us to do or to follow a rule or to follow a law. 
Now, it is implicit that to obedience, there is the notion of who do we obey? The one who gives the instruction and effectively the recipient of that instruction. So God is the one who gives the instruction and we are the recipient of that instruction. But then we can decide to do what we want with that instruction. So obedience effectively becomes disobedience when we have received the instruction and have decided not to do it. It sounds a little bit patronizing, but we will understand a little bit later why we go through this. So looking at Psalm, the verse of today, the main scripture from today, there are so many scriptures in the Bible we could have lifted up to speak about obedience. I think this particularly um, is, 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 is quite telling, and there are quite a few things I believe we can extract to it. So Psalm 119 says, You are my portion, Lord. I have promised to obey your words. I have sought your faith with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. Not it's not to your promises, it's to your promise. I'll come to that in a minute. I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statutes. I will hasten, I will hasten and not delay to obey your command. I will hasten and not delay to obey your command. And I think we can actually look at this scripture in so many, so many ways. But before we even get there, I want to actually really again take, in terms of the context, what does obedience mean for a child of God? How relevant is it in today's society? What kind of obedience, what kind of form, how does it take shape, you know? And what does it mean to be consistently able to obey? Then what power do we derive from obedience? And these are the few things I want to touch on today. So, you see, I believe God has really put obedience at the center of his relationship with his children. Effectively, Romans 3, 10 to 12, Romans 3, 10 to 12 is saying that there is no one that is righteous. That's the first statement. There is no one. It's not me saying. It's the Bible saying. I think the first sample or the survey I did before starting the message showed that we don't feel that we are obedient. Nobody can raise their hands. But if you fast forward, at the time God brings us before him, where it is at the point of judgment, it's probably a similar question we will have to answer. So, you realize that on Sunday, the 31st of December 2017, a question was asked, and we were not confident in raising our hands, that we were obedient to God. Fast forward, when God calls us back home, at the gates of heaven, the entrance of heaven, where God, Christ has gone to prepare a mansion for us, and maybe one angel, and again, me, probably I can go to Hollywood and make that movie, but one of, one of the angels appears and says, Hey, son, hey, daughter, have you been obedient whilst on earth, whilst alive? We will want to be able to raise our hands and say, yes, I have. Yes, I was. So we still have the breath of life right now, and it's not doom and gloom, but it's the opportunity to just do a 360. And the word in that scripture, Psalm 119, 
if we look at the last scripture, verse 60, it says, I will hasten, I will, do, I will do that quickly. I will not delay. I will just do that very promptly. I will not take any more minutes, any more seconds to think about obedience. Now, we need to obey, and who is the subject of obedience? I did say it's God. But <clears throat> what is interesting is we first need to obey God, but God also expects us to obey government, you know, managers. He expects me to obey my wife. He doesn't expect me to obey my son. He's my son. I have authority over my son. I don't have authority over my manager. He expects me to obey. And even if the master is hard, he still expects me to obey. He doesn't expect me to do lip service to my pastor. He expects me to submit and to serve. He is not expecting me to look at the word of liberty, the word that gives life, the word that is full of instruction, and start cherry-picking where it fits me for my own purposes. He expects me to just take it, not to overanalyze. When God tells me, give to this brother, Pray for this sister. Do that. Go there. He doesn't expect me to start thinking in the, other, in the Old Testament, that scripture is translated that do not do it. What God speaks is instruction and should be received as such. God has given us a mind. Hallelujah. We can think, praise God. The Bible is about the kingdom of God. Any kingdom is based on authority. Any kingdom is based on a set of rules. We like it, we may not. It is evidence, it is the fact. We cannot go to the queen and actually start telling the queen what to do. You will have people who will prevent access to, to, the, to, the, to the palace. So we have a God who should be first. We have a God who has all authority, and we have a God who really expects us to obey as a minimum expectation. So the point one that I want to draw out today is Jesus requires obedience. Jesus requires obedience. Can we say it again? Jesus requires obedience. Thank you. In the book of John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And so it's so easy to remember because you see John 14, 15 and John 15, 14 is the same. Can we look at John 15, 14, please? You are my friend if you do what I command. So today is an easy memory verse. I'm not good at it, by the way. I've just copy-pasted it and crammed it for the past seven days. But right now, I can say that. So there is an if, there is a word command in each of these two verses. And one is John 14, 15, and the other is John 15, 14. And I'm Jean-Louis. <laughs> right? So let's remember that. If you love me. It's not exactly if, as in questioning. God is not questioning. Jesus is not questioning whether we love him. He says, since. As it is given, as it is established, as it is a fact that you love me. Why? He's talking to his children. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to us. Since we do love him, then we will go on. We will go on. It's not a, a, you know, there's not a time slot. 
So it's 31st of December and Christmas has just come and I got my Christmas present. Hallelujah, God, I will obey today. And tomorrow is 1st of January and then I forget everything. It's not for today and it doesn't translate into next year. These are things that should translate and move from year to year, day to day, minute after minute. That's what God expects. Since we will obey him, since we love him, we will obey what he commands. And do you remember that the Bible also says that his commands are not cumbersome? So he knows we have the ability to obey. Maybe not the heart, but the ability to obey. And John 14, 15, he says we are his friends. So when we relate with our friends, when we engage with our friends, and when we share the FaceTime and the Facebook and the, the stories of our lives with our friends, the last thing we think about is obedience. It's, we are friends. Why do I need to obey my friend? But the friend that we have in Jesus is a special friend. He's a friend who has given his life for our sins. He's a friend who has, thanks to your prayer earlier one, a friend who has obeyed. Are you listening when Elder Steve was praying earlier? He didn't say, Jesus, thanks for obeying the call and going to the cross for me. He prayed about it um, 15 minutes ago. So that's, that's the friend that we have. Jesus is that special friend. And because he gave his life, maybe we need to give him that room to speak more to us, his friends. You see, both Christians really showed to me that obedience to Jesus is the only validation that is required and that allows us to call him Lord. Obedience. Because a Lord, back in the days, I don't think that you say, okay, my Lord, my Lord, of course. But I'm sure that Lord has a connotation of hierarchy. There is a, an authority and there is a servant. So I cannot call my wife Lord. Or It's not, it's not feminine, is it? Nah, okay. Maybe I cannot call my friend Lord if I can't effectively put him in that position of authority. Not me putting him, but he has authority already. Jesus cannot be our Lord if we do not recognize that special authority that he has. And again, Jesus came with that authority. And I think that looking at it very, very closely, we understand that that authority came from above. It is given by the Almighty Father, the God of creation, the God who has made us, the God who has created the earth, who has created the heavens, who has created every single thing, the whole universe. That authority came from him. There is no greater authority. And because Jesus calls us friends, doesn't mean we need to dilute that authority. Without that obedience, we are not servants. Let's look also at the fact, I said earlier, there are many rules in the kingdom of God. But like in any other kingdom, there are rules. And I feel fundamentally that if we look at the next scripture, which I do have, we have Luke from 6, 46 is really articulating that. Jesus seemed to be annoyed or upset with people doing lip service, permanently saying, yes, Lord, we will do it. Yes, Lord, we will do your biding. Yes, God, we will obey. But yet, they fail to obey. Do you know what is the most annoying thing for, for, a, a, servant, for, for a pastor? 
One of the most annoying things or frustrating things for a pastor is to have commitment from elders, <laughs> from operations team, from people in the church that they will do something, and yet they do not do it. Because then the pastor has to pick up the pieces and do it himself. One of the most annoying things for managers is to leave a task. If your manager asks you to do something, you say, yes, I will do it, and you haven't done it in the time allocated to doing it, and even if he puts no time, he still expects there is a trust relationship, there is trust between you, and he, he gives an, 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 you know, the expectation when he gives that instruction is that it will be done, and it is not done, then the Bible says, what, what good is it if, if we do things like that and we are beaten for our faults? Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, Lord? Why, why will you call me Lord and effectively you do not do the things which I've asked you to do? That's Jesus coming to the core of what obedience means to him. And is effectively challenging our ability just to respond without thinking of our response. To do things without loving the one who asked us to do it. It is that challenge. And Jesus himself, I believe, as much as he requires obedience, he understood obedience. He exudes, he demonstrates, he personifies obedience because he only sought to do the will of his father. Look at John 5.30. It says, I, that's Jesus speaking, can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I do not seek my own, my own will, sorry, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus' life is based on this. I do not seek my own. Yes, I know that I will be judging. Yes, I know that I have, I have come from heaven and I have all this authority and power, but guess what? I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, it's interesting because you can call it doing the will, but it's effectively obedience in one word. That's what it is. So Jesus exemplifies it. And again, as we speak about, as we speak about kingdom's dynamic, we look at the fact that angels also do the binding of the Lord. When we pray, let it be done today as it is in heaven, how do we know what is done in heaven? We have angels running up and down on the highways of heaven to do the will of the master. So that's the way it is done in heaven. There's no angels that we say, Lord, let me think, let me rest. I'm tired today. I don't have enough in the coffer to give. Lord, maybe the next time. Now, they do it. They hasten to do the will of God. But effectively, what we have here is... From Psalm 103, Psalm 103, if we can take it up, he says, Bless the Lord, you his angels, might in strength, who perform his word. Now the word is perform. Who perform his word, his word obeying the voice of his word. So they, the angels who are even strong, stronger than us, who are mightier than us, obey the mighty host of heaven. So we have all evidence from the kingdom's perspective that we need to obey God, that the kingdom is set up that way, and there is no place for disobedience. None. So for us, we also need to be under God's authority. And I have a quote there. 
He says, we need to live, we cannot minister, sorry, we cannot minister, sorry if we can bring up the quote, we cannot minister in God's authority when we are not living under God's authority. It's not my quote, I just found it. We cannot minister in God's authority, and by the way, every one of us is called to be a minister of the gospel. Every one of us has got the same instruction, and we still have to obey the same way to go out into the world and to spread and to share and to love, but to give the gospel out. So we are all ministers. So what we are saying here is we cannot minister in God's authority when we are not living under God's authority. Jesus Christ, as true God, yet true man, lived underneath the Father's authority. And that's just effectively helping us to understand what it means for us. It is important to be obedient, to be understanding that God loves obedience. Amen. If I want to go to Psalm, go back to Psalm 119, if we go back to the main scripture, please. Let's look at it and try to break it down further. From verse 57. You are my portion, O Lord. I have promised to obey your word. When I looked at it, my first question was, why make that promise unless the psalmist at that point was sure that he would be able to do what he promised? It's a promise that he made to God that he will obey the word of God. He didn't give any caveat to that. He didn't give any proviso. He didn't give any condition of obedience. He said, I will obey your word. I promised to obey your word. And maybe contextually, if we look at the Jewish culture, and maybe Joe can educate me a little bit more on that front, but I believe that they will have probably looked at the Torah. They will probably have gone through the word, and they will have looked at it, and I will have thrown over the Torah to obey and to follow the word of God as it was given to them. The same way that when Moses received the word of God, he had people saying, yes, we will do it. Yes, we will follow our God. Yes, we will obey. And the same way maybe we ourselves, when we first came to Christ, and to my brother we came to Christ recently, maybe we will have done the same thing, saying, oh, God, I do not know all the word, but I will obey you for all my life. That's what I did, probably. I was so excited. I was so thrilled. I was so happy. I gave my life to Christ. That Christ died for me. I understood what he meant. And the, the, the least I could give is my life back to God. And I had the understanding that I could do it come what may. Remember over the past two weeks, people talked about the storms. So even irrespective of the storms, by the time you make this promise, you feel you will be able to execute on that promise so that you actually meet the ask from the master. But where the psalmist starts, he says, you are my portion. That's the first statement. I can say you are my wife because I have the ring and because I know how she's committed to me and vice versa. I can say you are my friend because I know how we are often on the phone and share many things and pray for one another and help one another and joke with one another, right? I can say um, so many things to people, but the psalmist is attributing God to himself, this is no longer a strange God. This is no longer a foreign God. This is not a God with a far. It's a God with very near him. It's a God who he has a personal relationship with. It's a God that has said, today I have begotten you, you are mine. He understands that M-I-N-E as a true reflection of the love of Jesus for him. So he says, you are my portion. 
We normally quote that you are my portion, Lord. Portion of what? But it's effectively, you are my everything. It's a situation of desperacy, a situation where we show our full, total dependency on God. We cannot do with God. Remember at the time, and if you look again contextually, they were entering into the promised land. So some of them will have had land and being blessed with land, but some of them will, may not necessarily have received what they hoped for. The Levites are pointing case anyway because they had a special service and a special commit, uh, anointing to do specific things before God. They went to be in the house of the Lord every time and singing. But he's effectively saying anything in this world can be pushed aside. And as long as I have my portion, that portion that meets me at the point of my need, that portion that understands my breakdown, that brings me back up whenever I'm low, that heals my sicknesses when I'm really under pain and, and struggling with life, that gives me that hope, that glimmer of hope every single time when I put my hands down and the battle is too hard for me. When I say God is enough and my heart cries out to our maker, I can no longer do it. This is my portion will remember me from above, send his angels down and rescue me and lift me up and tell me, my son, my daughter, it is good, carry on. This is my portion. The God we serve is our portion. That's the starting point. And because it's our portion, we can then be confident to say, I will obey. Not I will in terms of intentional, but in terms of factual. We will. I will. Let your yes be yes. I will. I will means it is done. It's not provisional. Jesus, who is on his glorious throne, is the ruler of the heavens and earth. He's claimed me, he's claimed you, he's given himself to us, and we belong to us, to him. Amen. Then he goes on. I have sought your faith. If we look at verse 58. I have sought your faith with all my heart. Do you know that our hearts matter before God? The state of our heart is effectively where the Bible says out of it springs the issues of life. But our hearts matter before God. He so much is in love with us. He always goes after our hearts. Not what we give him in terms of, you know, time necessarily. That's good. But our hearts. And the family says... I've sought your faith. Because the Bible says, when you say, seek me, Lord, your, you I will seek. Your faith will I seek. He's the same psalmist who comes and say, with all my heart. It will not be an undivided attention. It will not be a half-hearted commitment. It will be with all my heart. My heart means you. Your heart stops beating. There is no more you. I will seek you. And he said, be gracious to me according to your promise. Amen? Amen. God is always gracious. And I think the fact that we sit here is the fact and the evidence that God is gracious. We will thank God at the end of the service because I know we all long to give thanks to God. We will thank him, but God is a gracious God. Amen. God is a gracious God. He said in 59, I have considered my ways and have turned my, my steps to your statutes. I have considered my ways effectively when God is telling us that 
if we look into the perfect law of liberty and continue in it, then a certain number of things will be in place. But if we do also look in our heart and even use the word of God to extract the dirt from our heart and to purify us and to help us be more like Christ, we will be able to turn our steps back to God. Because that's what the problem of obedience is. And we will see later, obedience means that we walk according to God's will because we do what he's asked us to do. Disobedience is the contrary. And when we realize that we've been disobedient, then we turn back to God. So we need to consider the way, we need to consider our way with God each day, for we do not know what tomorrow is made of. Each day. The Bible asks us to walk our salvation with fear and trembling. It is a call to walking with God uprightly. Once we know that we are not doing it, there is a remedial action, is repentance. But we need to do it immediately. And that's why the very next verse, to happen, makes even more sense. We will obey God's command because time is just not on our side. It doesn't matter if you are 20, if you are 80. Time is never on our side. The Bible tells us to seek God while he may be found. Which means implicitly that God may retire if he's offended by our actions. His spirit will still be with us, but he may actually no choice face for a while. Does that make sense? He says, seek God while he may be found, meaning he may not be found. It is important to understand how we serve God and how we worship him. Point two, disobedience has consequences. And there is no trade-off for obedience to God. Disobedience has consequences. I want you to look into your life now, introvert, just a couple of seconds. Look at the very time where you have not listened to the voice of God. Then think back, fast forward, what were the consequences? Give you half a second. They are not pretty, are they? The slightest deviation from obedience means disobedience. Now, that disobedience may take half a second again to come and materialize into an outcome. It might take 5, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Because you do not see the result of your disobedience today does not mean that there is no result of obedience. The Bible says there is nothing that we will do that is not accounted for, that will not account for. And God does not like sin. Why do I bring sin? It's not to condemn you. It's the fact that even if we go to God and ask God to repent, he's just unable to forgive us. By all means, he will. Because he's a gracious, he's a forgiving, he's a merciful God. But what happened to David and Bathsheba and their son? He's forgiven, David. What happened to Abraham? He's forgiven him. And he still gave him the son of promise. And he still had Isaac. But what does he mean in between? He means that up to today, the Middle East has unrest. Right? What does he mean to Lot and his wife and his family? Because when God says, I will come and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, by all means, run away. Do not look back. And he's happily married and probably on honeymoon. 
And he goes back and his wife is looking back. Then she just turns into a pillar of salt and she loses her life. So not only does he lose his wife, as much as he was instructed by the master, he loses his wife on the spot. He goes with two daughters and he's not settling where God has told him to settle. Because of fear, he runs away and goes in a land where there are no men. Of course, the daughter grew. And what happened? They made him drink wine. There was no man to have children with. So they slept with their father. Two children. The eldest had one and the youngest had one. From them came the Moabites. Among others. And these tribes have been thorns in the flesh of Israel. You look throughout war between the Moabites or the Amalekites with Israel time and time and time again. But Lot was saved and won by angel. The wife disobeyed. And that's the turnaround. So there are consequences. And I'm not, it's not doom and gloom because God is also a God who is merciful. And we look at the reward and how powerful obedience is. But it's just, as Christian, you know, the Bible says that to get knowledge, to get understanding, we've heard about obedience. And when children are being told by their parents, do not do it. Like my son, my wife has been very clever in articulating a methodology for him to listen. Because he's five-year-old and he's very competitive. So he needs to earn his point and he needs to be first always. I wonder what will happen when he's not first. <laughs> so the, the, the game is this. If I repeat myself two times, mommy gets two points. And if you listen and if you do things first, then you get two points. What's the score? Right. Mommy is at 60 and he's at 40. Which shows already that obedience, disobedience there is a level, right? He's obeyed less than mommy expected him to be and mommy is far ahead. For us in the kingdom of God, we probably a million versus one. Because every time we tend to disobey. There's consequences in obedience, brothers and sisters. And maybe the word of God today is for us, me included, to just go back and look at our life. Not to do just a self-assessment, but to make that commitment. Because, you know, there's nothing impossible, right? There's nothing impossible. As much as there are no trade-offs obey, to obeying God, there is no way that this cannot be done. So point two, disobedience has consequences. If we look at 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel said, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings? You want to do sacrifice as much as obeying in the voice of the Lord? To obey is far better, is much better, is 100 times better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. Whatever you can give God after your disobedience point. Obedience is still... The true thing is still, you know, it's still gold. Disobedience is a sin. S-I-N. Direct or implicit rejection of the word of God is a sin. 1 Samuel 15, 23 says, For rebellion is like the sin of divination. It is arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Disobedience is akin to quarreling with God. Please don't take me the example of Jacob. It's not everybody who is a Jacob and who is going to... Jacob did not quarrel with God as in I'm disobeying and I'm showing you that I can punch you harder than you can. That's not it. 
Quarreling with God is what Isaiah 45, 9 says. Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. An earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, he has no hand. That's exactly what it is. And there are woes to it. Because we cannot quarrel as in, we cannot every time put our own agenda before God as opposed to listening to God. If my son, every time I'm asking him to do something, does not do it, not only will he frustrate me, but you know what? He's a rod for his own back. Because there is downtime. Yeah? Five minutes, naughty corner. And if he's not naughty corner, and I know Martha and all the parents know that in the room, you go to, you ramp it up, isn't it? You ramp it up. Ramp it up. Until they come, no more PlayStation, sorry. Where are the guys here? No more Xbox. Okay, not enough. No more mobile phones. Are you smiling? No more mobile phones. Oh, you are grounded. Oops, that hurts. Oh, your best clothes are actually in the loft. And then you carry on. Carry on, carry on. No pocket money. Oh, right, it's not enough. Okay. Why are you all looking at me? I'm not done. <laughs> it's just an example. <laughs> You still, are, you still are going to keep your Christmas present. Please. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but you ramp it up. Now, those who have probably other techniques, the psychologists, and the, they will come with new techniques. Right? The pediatricians, they will come, and they will know how to speak to children. And God sometimes comes at our level so that he can speak to us. Say, no, no, this one, you got it wrong. That's what I meant. This way. You know? That's what he does. He's ever so merciful. Amen. Consequences of disobedience can, the greatest one is Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve. There's nothing else to say. Because we lose our enjoyment in the garden. We lose the ability to have blissful time. We lose our ability to have no worries. We lose our connection with God. We lose our friendship. We lose everything. Man loses everything. Because of disobedience. There is nothing else to say. Except thanks for Jesus. Amen. Point three. Obedience is not beyond us. It is powerful in God's hands. And hopefully I will wrap up in the next five minutes. Obedience is not beyond us. It is powerful in God's hands. Let's look at Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 30. This command I am giving you today is not too difficult for you to understand and is not beyond your reach. When you follow on that verse, the children of Israel are asking, God, what are we going to do? We can't hear your word. What are you saying? We we don't hear clearly. And the Bible recalls this instruction from Moses. The word is very near you. The word of God, the instructions of God are very near us. Even if it is under our pillow, if it is in our bag, in our rucksack, it is very near us. Moreover, even if we leave this, it is in our hearts. And he says what? That you may do it. It's not that you may just listen and read and be willing. It's that you may do it. So there is no justification not to do it. He starts with saying it is not too cumbersome, it's not too difficult for you to understand. It's not too difficult, it is not beyond your reach. But so that you may do it. Now, which instruction of God is it that we do not understand? Forgive and you will be forgiven. 
Bless and do not curse. Love your enemies and pray for those who spitefully use you. Give and it shall be given to you. Trust in the Lord and in the power of his might. Do not avenge yourself. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Do not love the world nor the things in the world for it is enmity against God. Pray without ceasing. And in the same vein, pray for all men. Study the word. Meditate on it day and night. Do not lie, for lie is of the devil. Love God. Worship the king. The Ten Commandments. I've wrapped them up. (laughs) I don't want to go one by one. They are all instructions that we can hear, that we can understand, and that we can execute. They are not too far. They are not too difficult. What is difficult is our willingness. Now, obedience is very powerful, and God rewards obedience. Proverbs 13, 13 says, He who scorns instruction will pay for it, but he who respects the command is rewarded. You will never be forsaken if you obey, my brothers and sisters. Never, ever will you be forsaken if you obey. You need to pay attention to God's voice today. You need to have the ability to remember that God speaks about the spiritual as well as the practical. If God tells you, tidy your bedroom, tidy your lounge, if God tells you, pray, they're still on par. They are the same instruction from the same voice of the same maker. But because it is tidy your room versus pray, one is a direct consequence in terms of I can see that my room is tidy and I'm happy that everything is in place and I can invite my friend because my room is tidy and the other is praying, well, nobody will see that. I can't show to anybody that I've prayed. But God sees God talks to us about the very practical things. When he says, be courteous to your spouse, he means it. Then me, we need to be courteous to, to our spouse. I know it very well. <laughs> when God says, have healthy finances, and Christmas comes and we put everything on the credit card, well, the debts are not going away. They are coming come January the 1st where the interest rate comes in and hits your bank account. But then after, we will complain that God does not provide. Yes, spend. But he said, be a good steward. When God is telling us, love your neighbor, to what extent do we go in loving our neighbors? When God tells us, visit your parents, it's not any less important that love me. When God says, To not drive as if you were Michael Schumacher on that road is a B road. There is a speed limit. Actually, you want me to tell you? I confess. I'm probably one of the worst sinners when it comes to that. And back in the day, I wanted to impress my girlfriend by then, my wife today. And I have a wonderful Ford Escort. It has the little 16V at the back. And I thought I had, it wasn't red, it was gray, silver. And I drove it like if it was... It was my Ferrari, 
Ford, Ferrari, well, I don't know what the logic is. <laughs> Never mind. And I'm going to pick the brethren from church for church service. And we live in Southampton, and they live maybe 15 minutes away. God tells me to help my brother and my neighbor, so I go and pick them up in the morning, sacrifice my sleep. Am I not a good man? <laughs> but on the road, I'm not a good man. So I drive. And obviously, liking to keep to African time, I'm late. And I look at the clock and I look at the speedometer and it don't make sense and I need to make it up. <laughs> so I move. And my eyes are on the road, I on the road, I on the road, and I see that blue car coming after me. Oops. And I'm like, what speed? Town, 50 miles per hour. If there is any officer listening online, please forgive me. 50 miles per hour, 30 miles per hour zone. Oh, I'm 50. I'm like, okay, I can't break. He will see my braking light. He will realize. He's chasing me. Has he put his speedometer online or not? Okay, let me. You know when you put the gears down? You put like down, 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 but you don't want to break? That's what I did. And he followed me for another two miles. Got so annoyed that his, his gizmo couldn't pick me up. Then he put his blue light. Sir, put yourself on the line. And I had my suit. In those days, I wear a suit, so I had to go into church. <laughs> I have my suit come on a Sunday. He said, what are these weird guys wearing a suit on a Sunday? Anyway, coming out, say, step out of the vehicle, sir. Hello, officer. And I do my biggest smile. You were driving 70 miles per hour on that road. Really? <laughs> Don't take the mickey out of me, sir. <laughs> and I realized that the fear of God started coming in. And I'm like, okay, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't realize. I thought I was only, oh, I didn't give a number. You don't lie, do you? All right. You are just lucky I couldn't pick you up <laughs> on my speedo. Where are you going? I'm going for church service. <laughs> I'm picking brothers. They're waiting for me. Look, it's 10.30. The church starts at 11. Well, sir, there was an accident on these roads this weekend, and that's why we are out there. You don't want to go, and actually the church service is for you. <laughs> yes, officer, thank you very much. Bye. God bless you. No fine, no point on my license. I still keep my car. I can go to church. Well, it's not good, is it? But God sees all our inabilities and where we fall short, and the Bible says that the hand of the Lord is still picking us up. But we cannot do it time and time and time again. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't help. So what am I saying tonight? Let's conclude today and look at the fact that there was the story of Naaman. I want to touch on that story. Second Kings 5. Why obedience is very important and is very powerful is exemplified in maybe Naaman, who is a soldier of the Assyrian army. And what did he do? He was having this leprosy, this skin condition. And he got told to take, take a dive, go to the waters of the Jordan River. Started complaining, started complaining, started complaining. After complaining, I think he had no choice. He realized that he still needed to do it. And can you believe Naaman going into the waters of Jordan River because the prophet of God told him so, and the water is so dirty, and he's not enjoying it, and he has better rivers in his own land, and he's, going as, as the, he's being told to do that seven times. He's like, oh, these, these Christians, these people, they tell me things, they don't make sense, does it one time. He continues to swear and he said, I can't believe me, the mighty general. He does it the second time. My skin is not changing, not even the thing going. He does it the third time. Oh, I give up, I want to give up. And the enemy is telling him, they are lying, 
no good is going to come out. And he does it, but by the time he does it, the seventh time is completely cleaned, completely healed. So the obedience, true obedience, as much as there was reluctance, obedience is better than sacrifice. As much as there was reluctance, he still did what was asked of him, and he still got healed. Amen? The obedience of Noah changed the destiny of many. They were meant to live long, but they perished because one man was obedient to the instructions of God. And he built the ark, and he and his family were saved. By faith, Noah, Hebrews 11:7, telling us that by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. He condemned the world thereby and became an heir to the righteousness that comes with faith. The woman of Zarapath was not meant to have any meal. It was the last ever meal she was going to eat. She was ready to prepare it for her and her son and die. But God is saying, the God servant is saying, prepare and give it to me. That's selfishness or not? No, it's not selfishness. Because if our faith is not tested, then we cannot prove that faith. She's still prepared. And she said, okay, well, Lord, sir, Elijah, I do prepare it for you. You eat, fill your stomach, by all means, even ask for more. Wipe your mouth, right? I will cook for you, but my son and I have nothing else. He said, behold, nothing. There will not be any flour or oil missing until the restoration Nothing will be missing. And true to form, she had more food until the end of the draft. God has been faithful to us. The walls of Jerusalem were able to fall because of obedience and going around the walls as God has asked. Esther, in the Bible, saved the whole people just because of obedience for God. These people were destined to die. They were meant to die. The people were meant to be eradicated from the face of the earth. But Esther obeyed. Acts 5.29. That's the challenge. Peter and the apostle answered, we must obey God rather than men. And my call to you today is where you have contradicting instructions from different people in authority, always go back to the one who is the giver of authority. Do not look at what your manager say. I'm not calling you to disrespect and say, my pastor or the preacher said so. I'm just saying that wisdom should abide and prevail so that the decisions that you make, even in 2018, will be based on the word of God because that's what God expects. And finally, I want to conclude. What are we going to do? You've made your plan for 2018. Go to the gym is probably the first one. The gym membership is costly these days. I think in my company it's 40 quid. So if you turn there half a day, good. But you've made your resolution. Has God been in your planning? What's, what's the resolution that is bringing you back to the Bible? Oh, I will read more, I will pray more, I will serve more in church. It's not, it's not about that. It's really not about that. It's all today about our hearts. And if we have the hearts and the right heart before God, whose heart beats for us day in, day out, then, 
then the year will be fine, right? It's not me saying, it's he saying. Then the year will be fine. And maybe that's all what we need to remember. So decision time is today. And closing then, I will want to close on Joshua 22.5. Only be very careful to observe the commandment in the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. To love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. For there are the blessings. He goes later and says, if you want to make your way prosperous. And I think that's what I want to leave you with today. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, We would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.